Hey there, welcome to Sounds Inbound, brought to you by Sounds Group. I'm your host, I'm Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Mike, solo founder of Sidekick, a Ruby framework to perform background jobs. That tells me nothing, to be honest, so I'm going to ask you <laughs> what Sidekick does. Uh, but uh, launched in uh, 2012, completely bootstrapped and originally an open source project that's already hitting about 5 million in ARR. So super impressive, really, really interested in how you're doing, why you're doing it. And yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Anna. Great to be here. Sure. Awesome. Anytime. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's, let's maybe perform a, a mom test on me. What is Psychic? What does it do? <laughs> oh, I think you summarized it great right there. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it is at the heart of it. It's a developer tool, um, for, uh, you know, for basically, um, building out and scaling Ruby applications. So if you're using the Ruby programming language, to build business applications, uh, Sidekick is the leading framework for scaling the processing of that, that business app across many machines. So as you grow your business, as you have more data that you need to ingest and process, people will use Sidekick as the framework for creating um, jobs to process those, those elements of data. So I know that's a very nebulous sort of way of describing it, but um, let me let me give you an example of uh, yeah. to to maybe make it a little more concrete. Uh, let's say you get a, a CSV file, like a comma separated value file, mm -hmm. full of a bunch of transactions, right? Maybe you get uh, ten thousand uh, lines to process, right? What what you would do with Sidekick is you would create a job for each line in that file. And then you would fan that work out across many machines and it, you could process it in a matter of seconds or minutes. Um, and so that way you would, you would uh, scale that processing um, to as, as, as widely as you have the resources for. But uh, I don't want to get too down into the weeds. The secret to Sidekick is I've been iterating on it for, as you say, a decade now, and um, I've polished the heck out of it. Um, so it has a, a nice, really usable uh, web interface for developers so that they can see all the data going through their system, so that they can see failures and they can respond to you know errors that are uh, happen when they're processing their jobs. So yeah, it's kind of got the whole, uh, and of course, to, as you said, it, it started out as an open source project, but when I started the project, I explicitly said, I want to do some financial experiments because a free, purely open source project uh, is not sustainable in the long run. Yeah. Right. As I mentioned, I've been working on this for a decade now. Well, if it was free, I, I couldn't work on it for the past decade, right? I would have given up and burnt out. Um, so the money and the commercial side is what keeps the open source project going. It's what keeps it well-maintained and me responding to, to support emails every day. So the, the open source and the commercial side kind of dovetail nicely together. Um, 
to to keep the the product and the project going. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you kind of moved on to 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 being a, just a, a very expensive customer support. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but uh, well, I gotta say, when, when I um, read the name Sidekick, I thought, oh, that that's just brilliant because everyone wants to be, uh, you know, the main actor, and and I think naming a product Sidekick just um, requires a bit of the guts. So yeah, really thumbs up for that. Well, yeah, the, the the name. Yeah, well, the so. The name is kind of, it, it comes from the fact that with a Ruby business application, typically you'll use a web framework to build the web, you know, sort of interface to the app. And then on the side, you'll have a framework for processing data and those jobs that I talked about. And so that's where the name Sidekick came from is I, I said, well, it's kind of the sidekick to that main web framework that you're using for yeah. your application, right? So in, in the Ruby world, you've got web frameworks like Ruby on Rails, like Hanani, uh, like Sinatra. And so Sidekick is the sidekick to that, that web framework that you're also using. So that's where the name came from. Yeah, pretty cool. Okay, thank you. Thank you for telling this. But uh, yeah, since you already kind of uh, started talking about, uh, you know, how you started it and uh, the way you monetize the product, uh, let's maybe get to like the whole inspiration. How did you start it in the first place? Because it's something that, um, I don't know, not yeah. so obvious. It's not your, your usual sauce, right? Um, so yeah, where did the inspiration come from? Well, so I, I was a Ruby developer for five years before I started Sidekick. Um, and the, the one thing that I did at all the different startups that I worked at in, and programmed Ruby at was I would always build a background job system because there was no really usable background job framework for Ruby at the time. Um, a lot of the, there was a bunch of homegrown stuff and there was stuff that worked okay. Um, but every single system had issues or sort of scalability limits. And so after the third time of this, I thought, well, maybe I should, maybe, you know, I've, I've built it three times already. Maybe I should build one that I think is long-term uh, going to work really well for the community. And that's where I, that's why I, I, I started Sidekick. And I, I sort of announced it on my blog and I said, I'm going to build this thing because Ruby doesn't just doesn't have a, a really a really solid uh, dependable framework that's um, sort of well packaged and easy to use, and so that's that's where it came from. I I, I said I'm there. There's obviously a need in the community for this thing, um, but then I I also said you know if I'm going to build this thing and a lot of people are going to adopt it, I'm going to need to be able to work on it for years, and that's where the whole financial experiment um, side of it came in. I, I realized. As a, as a long-time open-source developer, that open-source projects get started with a lot of gusto, but then they usually die after right. a couple of years because people just burn out. They, they spend so many hours and so much time uh, working on this thing and supporting their users for zero dollars. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't want that to happen to me also. So that's where I said, oh, I want to make a commercial side to it. Right, but also like another another side to to building something open source is the is that you have all the contributors that could maybe potentially also become your co-founders, maybe right, or, or or just your employees. So 
that hasn't happened to you. You're still alone after, <laughs> uh, well, not alone. You're working on, on the product by yourself, uh, or at least the commercial side of it. You've, you've launched Psychic 7.0, right? So how much of it is purely you, right? How much of it is it the contributors, if any, if that's, you know, that's still going. So what's the, what's the deal? What was it then? What, what, what is it now? Right, right. So there's a couple, there's a couple aspects to that question. When I started in 2012, a lot of people were excited by the project. I was pretty well known in the community already. And so a lot of people came on board and started helping me flesh things out. Like, um, the web UI, for instance, I'm a, I'm a terrible designer. I don't do CSS or JavaScript very well at all. So I had a bunch of people help me out with the design, um, the, the sort of red coloring and the logo and all that kind of stuff that was all contributed by people. So I'm really thankful to them obviously for, for their work. Um, so, so a lot of people initially came on board and, and, and helped um, submitting pull requests to improve functionality, to add new features, that sort of thing. Um, I was sort of as uh, the beneficial dictator for life, or uh, <laughs> anyways, the as the uh, as the um, the dictator for life of the project. Um, I, I would sort of coordinate and I would review and and, and that sort of thing. But we had a, I had a lot of committers in Sidekick for the first couple of years. I probably had a dozen. A dozen people with um, mm. commit access to Sidekick, but you know, over the years, uh, people change. You know, teams they move companies, they have new life goals or whatever, and they move on. And so, you know, the only constant in the last decade has been me because I'm I'm the one strand that's keeping everything together. And 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 you're right. Um, today, I'm I'm still the one doing ninety percent of the work. Uh, but I do have people submitting pull requests to me all the time to improve things. You know, I was just working with someone uh, earlier this week on on a, on a change to Sidekick and reviewing his pull request and helping him uh, make it as good as possible. So I still do open source work every every day. Now the commercial side, I, I still you're right. That is closed source because it is an, uh, what's called an open core system. So the core is open source, but the commercial side is, is closed source and you have to pay for, for access to that. But that's just the trade-off you have to, to making a sustainable system and, and to, to having um, sort of financial support to the product is, is I chose the open core model as, uh, as my business model. Yeah. Okay. So after after a couple of years, you decided to to monetize it, or was it like kind of in in the works earlier? And how did you start? Even like, who were your first customers? Yeah. How did you find them? And how did you price the product in the first place? Too many questions. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's it's a great question. I, I get where I get where you're coming from. The open source community has sort of a bad reputation to almost being allergic to bringing money into open source. Mm -hmm. And I understood that as a developer, as an open source developer, I like open source. I love using open source. I like, I don't like features being gated behind money per se. So what I tried to do from the very start is be very clear that, Hey, yeah, I'm going to try and bring, bring money into this project somehow. 
And so first thing I did was try and sell licenses for money. What I learned there is nobody cares about licenses aside from the lawyers. So developers just want the code. They just want the features. Um, and so I wasn't selling many licenses. So that kind of was a failure. So uh, from there, I, I said, well, let me try the open core model. And so I announced Sidekick Pro. Um, and I, I said that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build some additional features that are going to be complex. They are going to be non-trivial to implement, but, um, but they will be gated behind a, a paywall. So if you want access to these features and you want to support the project, you can buy Sidekick Pro and, uh, and support, support the project. And almost from day one of Sidekick's existence, I had the, some of those open source developers saying, our company is now depending on Sidekick. We want to pay you money so that to ensure that you stay around. Because as long as our company's around, we're going to depend on Sidekick and we're going to depend on you. And so we want you there for us. Um, so it was it was really positive and invigorating to see that I had a lot of, I had dozens of people saying, hey, we want to buy this thing and we want to support you and we want to support this project. And so, um, yeah, within, uh, I think the first week or two that I had Sidekick Pro for sale, I got maybe a dozen, a dozen sales um, from customers who were already using Sidekick and wanted to ensure that it was going to be around for the long haul. And um, so, yeah, some of those customers have been with me for over a decade now. Wow. Okay. Well, you, you said that, you know, building a dependable software and, and it's great. A lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of developers, a lot of founders want to do that, but um, still the fact that, that you're doing everything alone, right. Uh, and this is sometimes a concern for, for a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of indie makers building an, I can't possibly call you an indie maker anymore, but uh, still a lot of indie makers are, are trying to build software and, you know, uh, strive for dependable software for something that, you know, that their customers would use for decades. Uh, but the concern there is, you know, you're alone and you're doing everything alone. You're, you're the support, you're the developer, you're the accountant and everything. And if you break a leg, um, then, you know, what happens or to Or break us? my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's just, it's just, uh, actually, I, I went surfing today and always broke my foot. So I'm just like <laughs> in pain. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. 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 You no, know, that's, that's a common concern. I, I hear what you're saying. You know, what happens if you get hit by a bus, Mike? Yeah. And for commercial software, generally you have, um, like an escrow clause where if the company goes out of business, the mm -hmm. source code will become accessible to the customer so that they can have the, the, the core IP that their business is relying on available for them to mm -hmm. sort of uh, deal with in, in any sort of emergency. Um, the interesting thing about Ruby is Ruby is distributed as source code. So there's no pre-compiled binaries or anything like that. And, and so that, that's kind of what I tell customers who are concerned. I say, you know, if you're, if you're a Sidekick Enterprise customer, you have the full Sidekick Enterprise source code on your, on every mm -hmm. machine that's running it. You know, you can just open the gem package and see the full source code to it. So, um, 
so yeah, there, if, if there's a bug, if you see some behavior that's weird or you want to change, the code's right there. You can, you can, the phrase we use in the Ruby community is you can vendor, you can vendor the package and change the code and you're up and running and everything's working. So, so yeah, I, I, I am, you know, solo, I am alone, um, but the full source code is available and Sidekick is so widely used by the community that you've got, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people who are really Sidekick experts and know the internals pretty well. Um, so that's kind of what I tell people if they need a little, a little, yeah, a little bit of, um, encouragement. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds great. But uh, yeah, you you went from um, getting your first customers from the community and you know from your blog and from people who knew you. But now, if you go on the website, you got huge names there, right? So how how did you move from you know from the community from word of mouth, I guess, to those names? Was there any additional marketing or is it was it still very organic here's my secret to marketing i don't do any marketing <laughs> no my so so my customer are the are the ruby developers that that are my peers that's who i market to and the way i market it is as i make the best most amazing open source package that i can sidekick the free project is my marketing Right. When you use Sidekick and you say, yeah, this works well, it's really easy to use. It looks great. Let's use it. And so you use it for six months or a year and then you realize, oh, wait a second, I need this feature. That is a commercial feature. Maybe we should think about buying it. That That's the entirety of my customer acquisition is getting people on Sidekick and, and then letting them discover the commercial side and saying, yeah, we, we need these features and yeah, we want to support the project to ensure that it sticks around. Um, so let's upgrade. So yeah, I, that, that people almost don't even believe me when I say this, but I do no sales. I do no marketing. Um, my, that, well, okay. So the only marketing I really do is I go to RubyConf, I go to RailsConf, I put my face out to the, the, the developers who go to those conferences. I, you know, I, I financially sponsor some of the parties there and that sort of thing. But I don't do any advertising. I don't do any sort of, you know, commercial blog posts that are just outright advertisements sort of thing. Um, hmm. And the only, yeah, the only, the only sort of marketing I do is I, is I, is I build an amazing project, 
And then I, I document what I do. So I'll publish blog posts about, hey, here's a new feature and here's uh, something interesting I learned. And, and that's, that's the, that sort of educational uh, bent is really kind of the only um, sort of public marketing that I do is just telling people, here, here's what, something cool I built in, in Sidekick this week or, or last month or whatever. So yeah, talking yeah. about what I do. And, and the features that I built is essentially the only marketing I do. All right. Yeah, I went to your blog and, and like I scrolled down all the way down. It was like the first one is 2007 or something. It was like, wow, that's that's the consistency everyone's talking about like that. You cannot get it anywhere else. Right. Like the um, it's it's just it's brilliant. Like when you're consistent, people. Yeah people know where to go to get a kind of content. So, um, yeah, great stuff. Uh, but the, um, but the, the phrase sure. in, um, in the music is in the music industry is you're a decade old overnight success. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge success and it only took me 15 years to get here. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very much a grind. It's very much building up expertise in one specific niche. Um, it's it's building a, a solution that solves not only your problem but a problem that you know the entire industry uh, may have, and 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 that's that's sort of the secret is solve a problem that everybody has and, and charge everybody just a little bit of money to access it, and uh, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're a, you're a, a multi million dollar business. <laughs> all of a sudden, and overnight, you're. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's really that easy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just grind for, for 15 years and there you go, overnight. But yeah, absolutely. And something that I also noticed because um, my previous job was at, at a tech uh, startup and it was also open source. And we were we were just like grinding about like what kind of marketing we can do. Uh, and I'm a marketer, so I was grinding about that. And then we just, yeah, we just said, yeah, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to talk about like what we're building and we're not going to, to like extensively just go and, and jump or, um, over hopes and just like trying to create this buzz. We're just going to build something brilliant. And I believe it works now. They're, they're, um, way more successful than when I was there, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I hope those two are unrelated, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, to your to, to your point, to your point, you you've got to think about the user. You got to think about your customer. Yeah. Your my my customer is the the Ruby engineer, and the Ruby engineer cares about the features and what value it can bring to their Ruby application. And so that's all that I talk about. Is everything is all all my writing is always talking about. Here's what you can do with it. Here's how it'll mm-hmm. help you. And all my documentation is set up based on all the documentation I have is per feature because I want every developer out there to understand each feature and how it can be useful to their to their Ruby app. And so, yeah, maybe that's the long winded way to get to my secret to marketing is don't talk about yourself, but talk about the 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 customer and how your feature can help them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, about this on another episode. How everyone's right now talking about the the benefits, you know, the like what what you're going to 
to get the productivity and the revenue and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and almost nobody anymore talks about the features and like how, how you actually are going to do that, how you actually are going to bring the value. And it's just, it's getting more and more confusing. And I think it's brilliant when it's a fine line between like what you're getting and how you're getting it. So yeah, pretty interesting. Once I learn a little bit more <laughs> about the technicalities, <laughs> I might go back to your blog and, <laughs> and learn a little bit from you, how you're doing this. But uh, yeah, uh, I have obviously uh, a lot more questions. And uh, one of them, because you did a podcast with, with Toby, one of our co-founders already, uh, an alpha list. And it was really fascinating that uh, when you were talking about being bootstrapped versus raising funds. And I really like, I think I, I even wrote it down, um, the quote of like half a billion dollars in my account is not happiness. Like after, after bootstrapping a business successfully, uh, building an amazing product, having your community being well-known there, you said you're not raising funds and you, you haven't raised. And well, you, you sometimes think like, what could have been, could you have been a, a unicorn by then? So yeah, we're a question yeah. for a tech podcast or like founder podcast, but what is, what has happened is... Mm to Mike. Well, well, let me, let me get a little philosophical here. Um, sure. Because ultimately what you're talking about is what is your end goal for what you're trying to build? Like why, why are you grinding away for a decade? Exactly. Um, if you're, if you're grinding away from money, I find that what happens is that if you are successful, let's imagine what happens here. If you are successful and you have an exit for, let's say, $50 million, okay, great. Now you're so many years old, you've got a bank account with $50 million, you no longer have access to your business because you sold it. And so what do you have now? You have a very large bank account, you have no job, not, and, and nothing really to do anymore. So, and, and and some people will be shouting furiously at me right now is you got $50 million. But, but my, my point is, but yeah, but what does that do for you? Okay. So you can go sit on a beach for the next 20, 30 years, but is that going to make you happy after the first day or two, then you're just bored. So, so I, I don't think people understand that money beyond a certain amount doesn't add happiness or any interesting factors to your life. It, it you know, once you go beyond a uh, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year, and you have food and shelter, um, then what's more important in life is is to have friends and to have a purpose. And and money doesn't buy that. So, so yeah, I for for. You know, the, the whole length of the project, money was not necessarily my primary goal. I've always said sustainability is my goal. And that is I wanted to build my job and my business as something that I could run for the next 20 years and something that would make me content. And that's that's what I'm doing. And the money is great. And, it, and I, yeah, I'm successful. Um, but at the end of the day, people, people, uh, I, you know, I got an acquisition email just this morning, literally company just saying, Hey, you know, are you interested in being acquired? 
And, and, and Tim obviously has approached me several times over the yeah. years saying, Hey, Mike, you interested in selling out yet? Um, and I keep saying, and I keep coming back to the whole beach thing, which is, okay, so I sell out and I make 20, 20 million, 30 million, whatever. I don't know. But yeah, but what is that going to do for my life now? I don't have, I won't have a purpose anymore. So sidekick and the project, um, gives me a purpose as an engineer who loves to build and support customers. It, it gives me, gives me a job, uh, something to do daily. And so it gives my life meaning. So to sell out for a big number, um, I would, I would be giving up that purpose a little bit. And so, um, yeah, I struggle with that a little bit. Um, so anyways, that's a very long winded philosophical yeah. answer to your question. No, no, that's great. Um, so I, I hope, I hope that was, uh, somewhat helpful. No, 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 it's great. Because, uh, again, uh, we talk about this a lot on the podcast and uh, what all the successful bootstrapped uh, founders are saying is that at first you just have to, like, come to to a conclusion, like, why why do you need that kind of money? Why do you need to, to raise VC funds, right? Uh, why do you need to grow that fast? Why do you need to become a unicorn? And then once you've answered that question, you can... Yeah, you can make a decision, but ultimately, you know, you need to find your answer that, that you're at peace with. So, yeah, that's uh, I think that right. that's that's really good. And yet you've sustainably grown a business to is it is it five? Because when Toby interviewed you, it was a little over four. Is it five now? Five million error. It, it's over five. Um, yeah, it's okay. it's between five and ten. But to my point about earlier, I don't really do any sales or, or marketing. Um, it's grown organically just over the years. Uh, you know, it grows 10, 20, 30, 30% a year um, based on the, you know, the ups and downs of the economy and the ups and downs of the Ruby language as people, um, you know, build more Ruby on Rails apps. I get, you know, I see more customers as uh, if the economy goes down a little bit like it did um you know, post COVID, I'll see a little bit more customer churn, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just steadily grown like 20% a year, year over year without me doing much. Just, I just continue to churn out new versions and improvements and fix bugs and maintain the software and people, people seem to be happy with it. Sorry, I, I forgot the, the gist of your question, but yeah, it's, it's growing well without me doing much. Oh, that's perfect. I mean, uh, don't we all want to want to do that? But um, yeah, the question, uh, I guess, is uh, over this period of time, first of all, have you ever wanted a co-founder, someone, because also what, what we're talking about here a lot is just the mental health of a founder of, you know, sometimes being in the bubble and being the only one making the ultimate decisions and being the only one deciding on the roadmap and, uh, you know, sometimes making hard decisions. So have you ever wanted anybody to join you? And yeah, let's answer that first and I'll, I'll yeah. go to the second part. So the broader question is sort of how did I design my business the way it is right now? Because my business is very unusual. And stay sane. Um, <laughs> it's not and stay sane. Um, <clears throat> it, so my my, you know, as you pointed out, um, my company is called Contributed Systems. My product is called, or one of my products is called Sidekick. 
I have another product called Factory. Um, but Contributed Systems, uh, I started in 2014 as, you know, a, an umbrella for the commercial side. And I, I always sort of designed it from the start to be solo. Um, all of my policies, all of my business policies, all of my billing and sales policies, they are all designed to minimize the administrative side of the business. So, for instance, I make it really, really easy to buy my software with a credit card. And that way I can automate everything, right? I can use Stripe. I can use Stripe subscriptions. You charge a credit card, Stripe starts a subscription, and then every year it just bills your credit card or every month it bills your credit card. I specifically discourage uh, invoicing, manual invoicing, and sort of manual AR work because I, I'm solo. And I, I, if every, every hour I spend trying to bill a customer and trying to track down and, and get them to pay a bill is one less hour I can focus on the product and the software and supporting my customers. So um, a, a lot of my business is designed very much because I intended it to be solo from day one. Now your question, have you wanted somebody to help? Yes, very much so. <laughs> because even, even though I do sort of discourage invoicing to try and minimize that billing administration, I still have a, a good number of customers who refuse to use credit cards and they'll only do invoicing and dealing with them is the biggest pain in the butt uh, in the world. And it's by far the worst part of the job. I, I absolutely hate it. I'm terrible at it. I'm sometimes rude, uh, can be rude and a little bit brusque with customers who just continue to send me, you know, dozens of emails just for a single sale when they have the option to pay with a credit card and purchase in 30 seconds and not take up my time. So, th so that part is really frustrating. The administrative side, the paperwork side, um, as an engineer, I'm, I'm not good at it. I don't have the patience for it. And so that, that, that's why I've designed the company the way it is. But I do wish very much that I had a billing person who could deal with the administrative side for me. And, and therefore, I could just focus on the software. Okay. All right. So, I, uh, yeah, the second part of, of the question would be, could you maybe share a hack that, you know, that still helped you over the years uh, deal with the administrative part of the job, deal with the product, deal with the customers? How do you... Yeah, how do you structure your work in the way that you keep an eye on on ev all of the aspects and still you're, mm. you know, again, coming back to this, staying sane? Yeah, I don't have a, a great hack. I mean, the, the the policies that I've put in place are my hack, right? So I've, mm. for instance, uh, you know, if you want to buy Psychic Enterprise, it costs X. But if you want to invoice Psychic Enterprise, I require a minimum of 3x. So you have to pay three times okay. as much for Sidekick Enterprise if you want to invoice it. Or, or that is to say, you have to buy, a, the minimum tier is three times higher than if you're just paying mm -hmm. with a credit card. And so that's, that's one hack, is this, if you don't like something, charge the customer a lot more for it. You know, I had a bank 
by Sidekick Enterprise um, two days ago. And they were very unhappy that they had to pay three times as much because they didn't need a lot of it. They just needed access to the software. But because they refused to use a credit card, I said, well, you're going to have to pay three times as much. They were unhappy, oh, wow. but they paid three times as much. So that's my hack, I guess, is if something is, is not fun and, and kind of dreary, charge a lot of money for it. Okay. I think that's one of the best hacks that I've heard on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. I'm, cr I'm crying with $20 bills here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, okay, and um, another question is just something, yeah, something that everybody gets. What's so far the biggest win and the biggest failure for you as a founder oh. or for the business? Let's let's get philosophical again. Um, the biggest win. Um, I think when I started Sidekick, I had a couple of audacious goals that, hey, if I had three goals, and if I got all three of those goals, I would consider the entire thing a, a huge success. <clears throat> so my goal was to like get one or more of the big Ruby companies as a customer of Sidekick. So that was one. And I checked that off. Like um, I think a couple of the big companies at the time were New Relic, Basecamp, uh, GitHub, Shopify, um, And three of those four companies are, are customers. So, you know, huge success there. Um, the second goal was to make a million dollars. Obviously, check. That's like every year now. Um, <laughs> and then the, the third was to, um, oh, what was the third? Oh, to, to have a background job system that Ruby developers um, name first when they're talking about background jobs sidekick should be the first name that they name and that's also true now too so i've achieved all those goals and i've blown past um several of them so that's the huge success the failure wow. um was you know I, i i've started other products i had a product called inspector a few years ago that i built and uh i was really enthusiastic about it. It sort of filled a niche that I had always been felt was kind of a pain to deal with. And it sold nothing. <laughs> just other people didn't buy it or, or it just, it, it didn't have the community behind it. So I killed that product off after, you know, probably a year just because it, it wasn't seeing any, any uptake. So that was the failure is, is, you know, as a company, you have one big product and then you, you try and fan out and build other products. And, you know, oftentimes your second or third product just won't be as successful as the first product. That's just life. That's the way it works. You think of uh, bands who put out a first great album and then their second album is a huge flop, right? And it, it, it happens. I mean, there's, it's literally called the second album syndrome or something like that. Um, because it just, it happens in all walks of life. You know, you have one huge hit and then you go on and you think you're going to do amazing on the second time around and it just, it doesn't work. So it is what it is, but you know, it happens to yeah. everybody. So I don't feel too hard about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I think, uh, we talked about that with, uh, with David Hanneman Hansen and he, he said the same thing. He was just like, do you think all of our 
products were as good as Basecamp? Absolutely not. And there went like a list of <laughs> of the like failed yeah. um, failed products. And uh, yeah, not not everything is going to be a huge success, and that's okay. Absolutely true. Yeah, thirty seven signals probably had I don't know three, four, five different SaaS products, and I think they've basically sunsetted everyone except for Basecamp yeah. itself just because that's sort of, they decided was going to be their bread and butter. And I can respect that, you know, sort of, I, I've thought about building different products and going different directions. And at the end of the day, Sidekick is still 95% of my business. And so I have to focus on Sidekick and that's where I spend the bulk of my time because that's where most of my customers are and that's where the money's coming from. So that's, you know, you get what you, you pay for and my customers are paying for Sidekick. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, you know, for the story. It's been absolutely incredible. I, um, yeah, I really appreciate that uh, Tim introduced us, Tim Schumacher, our uh, co-founder at SaaS Group. Uh, he was absolutely right. I was absolutely excited. <laughs> so, and yeah, that's just another, you know, another reason to, to go deeper into tech maybe. So yeah, thank you so much for your story. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see where you're going to be next year. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate the talk. And yeah, it's been great. Yeah, thank you. And take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.